think about the community as uh, the group of participants who have a voice and a governing responsibility. So group of citizens uh, who both uh, provide input and guidance on the product interface and may be actually held accountable and responsible for a lot of the settings um, for the smart contracts and kind of provide oversight. And that group of citizens may pool their funds and help extend the product or, or help build additional interfaces on top of the protocol. Hi everyone, this is Growing Web3, a podcast that uncovers the growth stories behind the most successful crypto, DeFi, DAO, NFT, metaverse, and play-to-earn ecosystems. I'm your host, James RT, and each week I'll be sitting down with founders and experts on Web3 to pick their brains and learn about their growth stories. We'll discuss strategies and tactics to understand how they've grown Web3's billion-dollar protocols and communities. So whether you're in the midst of your own growth story or just getting started, this show is for you. Subscribe and join us each week as we discuss Growing Web3. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more. Hey everyone, welcome to Growing Web3. I'm super, super excited today to have Rafa with me, also known as Rafa the Builder on Twitter. He is a truly tremendous thinker who explores Web3 collectives, combining org design with digital community building. He's currently working at Mirror, supporting their building and community growth efforts and Rafa really is focused on working as a community architect. He's uh, yeah, way ahead when it comes to thinking about how communities grow, how they're structured, and yeah, his research and work around this is phenomenal. So I'm very, very excited to have him on the show today. Excited to be here. Maybe we could kick off. You could tell us a little bit about yourself. You could give a much better explanation um, about who you are and what you're interested in. And then, yeah, we can go from there. Today, as you mentioned, I work at Mirror, supporting their community and, and growth strategy. Uh, previous to that, I've actually spent the better part of a decade exploring and, and learning about organization design, how humans coordinate, how companies are built, and how work is, is divided, and how we collaborate uh, to to produce, to to create, to craft wonderful things. And over the last couple of years, I, I've really learned that we are going through a significant transition through the adoption of the internet, not just as a toolkit, but as something that is actually embedded as a as as natural, embedded into the work that we do every day. Um, not as something extra, but actually something that's in the DNA of how we're coordinating. And that, that changes a lot of things. And I call it a bit of a transformation because we're moving from a, from a place where we didn't have instantaneous communication, a perfect memory, one might say, from all the documentation and all the recording that we're doing today, and a significant amount of data at our fingertips where our skill sets 
are, are changing from memorization to search. And this changes the way that, that organizations are built and also enables new forms of collaboration. I'm particularly excited because it decreases the cost of collaborating significantly. Whereas before, we, it was quite difficult to get a large group of people uh, together, an audience um, to, to move in the same direction and create momentum on a specific belief, ideology, movement, culture, or, or passion. Right now, that's easily accessible. And so I'm very excited to, to be part of that transition, explore it, observe, and hopefully learn a little bit as to what the future might look like when these tools are adopted everywhere. And when we get to the next generation of tooling that includes both artificial intelligence, blockchain, and just ubiquitous access to information. Awesome. So, so where do you think we are in this kind of transition? to these new age organizational structures um, when it comes to Web3. Like we've seen DAOs emerge over the last five, six years. I think in the last two to three years, they've really become popular. Um, how, do you think they're still super early and super nascent and really like really just still experiments? Or do you think they're, they, they're more developed than a lot of people are thinking right now? I think it can be confusing to kind of like try to pick where we are. Um, I don't know. The quote that reminds me is like time is a flat circle, like nothing is really new under the sun. And if we look back, communities have, have been around forever. We, we've had a really structured community building for a very long time um, across all countries. Even, even 30, 40 years ago, when we're thinking about the 1970s and 80s, um, the internet did did have communities that were emerging. Uh, one that kind of comes to mind is called uh, The Well. And even more recently, there have been a lot of digital communities on Facebook groups, on Reddit, um, on Discord, gaming communities, Twitch. And so I would, I would argue that the digital communities is not necessarily a new movement. I think that has been there for a while. I think what's new, though, is the ability to pool funds um, and collectively uh, have purchasing power, have a lot of financial power. Whereas previously, you had to have a banking institution uh, support you in, in resource management. Um, right now, because of, of the blockchain, we have the ability to gather funds and manage funds uh, without that sort of intermediary. And so a lot of the communities that have existed in the past where the resources were mostly focused on manpower and individual purchasing power, uh, we've moved to a point where now we, we have collective uh, purchasing power and pooled funds. And so I guess in that sense, maybe we're in the second or third phase or a third iteration of this. Um, with DAOs likely being the latest um, iteration, uh, but probably far from the last. Uh, I think uh, DAOs are, are probably the first generation of pooled funds and communities. And I'm quite eager to, to kind of see what, what happens next. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing about DAOs is how simple and how complex they can be. So 
we see DAOs governing very complex, um, or let's maybe not complex, but governing protocols, which, you know, like Uniswap or Compound that have billions of dollars um, of assets being managed and governed by the DAO, which is really incredible to see. And then we also have DAOs that have been spun up for like specific purposes, like Constitution DAO, which was very much everyone throwing some cash together and let's, you know, do this one thing. Let's try and buy the Constitution. I think it's really interesting to see how both those use cases have emerged and they're like on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of similar to the creator economy, right? Where you have like big creators and smaller creators and you have the, you know, big celebrities who have a broad audience and then you have a niche, a very, spe very specific niche creators who have a, a set of 100, you know, true patrons who kind of support the work. And I think we're, we're going to see that same kind of distribution of scale with communities where DAOs both enable you to be a lot smaller and a lot bigger, uh, potentially, in the current, uh, the, than the, the previous archetypes of organization design. And what do you think are the kind of key challenges for founders, um, community people who are trying to grow or trying to start like building a new organization over most recently i've been thinking about this concept of this uh, web3 application stack where you have a community um, you have a, a product interface and you also have uh, the protocol whereas uh, the protocol itself um, we can unpack that to think about it as uh, the composable infrastructure so like smart contracts on the blockchain and you can think about the product interface which is what consumers or users or your audience like directly touches and engages with and then you can think about the community as uh, the group of participants who have a voice and a governing responsibility so group of citizens uh, who both uh, provide input and guidance on the product interface and may be actually held accountable and responsible for a lot of the settings um, for the smart contracts and kind of provide oversight. And that group of citizens may pool their funds and help extend the product or, or help build additional interfaces on top of the protocol. So when we think about these three different areas for the, for the application, then a lot of people today need to start asking themselves like, you know, in what sequence am I going to build this? Um, how do I want these different aspects coupled or decoupled from each other? And where is going to be your anchor of focus, where you, where you think about accruing your value? So the, we've seen organizations, for example, uh, Friends with Benefits, who uh, launched specifically with a community and have now started to build products and will likely move into building protocols and we've seen uh, Web3 organizations like Leinster um, who have built a protocol and now are mobilizing a group of developers to build interfaces and are building a community on top of it. So as, as, a, as a founder today, as someone who is interested in building and expanding on the work that, uh, that on the tools that are available, you kind of need to ask those questions. So, what, where am I building first? 
where am I going to accrue value to and how coupled do I want it? Do I want my community separate um, to the protocol and product that I'm working with or do I want them heavily intertwined? Um, is my interface heavily intertwined with a specific protocol or is it composable across multiple different protocols that can like feed into um, the interface product? And so when we think about challenges, I, it's, I think less about, so there are challenges with each of these, right? Building a great user interface in, in Web3 is definitely a, a big challenge. Um, making sure that your protocol is airtight and doesn't have security issues. Making sure that your community um, grows with the right type of advocates so you create an actual community and not a financialized audience. And so there's just a lot of trade-offs that um, you need to take. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the recommendation similar to, I think this is like age-old wisdom, is don't do too much. Um, if you're going to start with a community, make sure you get the community right. If you're going to start with a product and interface, make sure you get the product and interface correct and product market fit because you don't want to build a community of people who aren't aligned to your product and value proposition. I wanted to go back to this like stack that you described. So you have like the protocol, you have the application layer, and then you have the community layer. I kind of think it's really interesting because at Hype, we work with a lot of layer one protocols and their challenges are, you know, like you've got to set off the flywheel by essentially building good tech. So you've got to acquire like lots of developers. Mm -hmm. And then the developers come for, so it's all developer first. The developers come and they build applications and then you've got to incentivize. So you've got to figure out how you can onboard as many community members, users um, to those applications. So that's like the product layer. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the user layer is the community layer. So I feel like it's also like there's a spectrum between like if you're starting out, it's like, are you like on the tech side where you're like trying to build a protocol, the product side, where you're trying to build an application, or maybe like the culture side where you want to go community first. Um, I really like the example of FWB because, yeah, they, they were like culture first mm -hmm. and now they're moving back up the stack the opposite way. And, yeah, I don't think I've worked with any organizations like that. I think it's quite unique. That sequence that you define, so if we think about different sequences, whether you're building protocol, then an interface, and then a community, or you're building an interface first, and then a community, and then hardening a protocol. Um, the sequence starting with community, I think, is the real groundbreaker. Previously, we had Kickstarter, but Kickstarter was about gathering funds into a centralized pool. It wasn't actually about mobile necessarily mobilizing a community of people to start producing um, it with a specific mission, vision, or ideology in mind. And so um, I think this ties back to this concept that um, uh, Toby from uh, Sharon from Other Internet has, has talked about often, this trifecta between um, supply chain, uh, branding, and culture. And the you know, I think it was very difficult um, before the internet because we didn't necessarily have global access of distribution and recruitment of, of talent and individuals um, to get a group of people together that were like-minded and had similar passions. Now we do, and it's not just that we can 
connect with them. I can launch a, a community mission statement and gather people that believe the same things that I believe. Uh, but we can actually uh, gather funds and produce revenue together that can get, then get mobilized based on the community mission. And so that to me feels like uh, the, that sequence of starting with the community feels like a significant game changer. Uh, whereas previously, the, that network of, of participants, of advocates, would be something that would happen later stage in the growth of an organization. Awesome. Um, that's super cool. I am a huge fan of everything that Toby and other internet do. So um, I highly recommend anyone who isn't familiar with them to uh, yeah check out. It's just otherinternet.co yeah. or .com, I think. But um, check out other internet. You'll be able to find them. Check out Toby Shorin's writing. It's super cool. What do you think are the most interesting experiments in new operational models, organizations around Web3, around communities? I think, so the most recent example that, that um, let me see, which, I mean, I think a cabin is probably one of my favorite experiments. So Creator Cabins is creating a decentralized city. Um, and they uh, did, so Jonathan Hillis uh, started a community of creators uh, about two years ago. And then um, with the help of Zach, um, their co-founder, they did a crowdfunding campaign last May, so back in 2021, and started the Creator yeah. Cabin style. Um, and through that experiment, they're finding ways to create a decentralized city through creating nodes of, uh, of, uh, of, of property. Um, that are interconnected um, by the community that engages with those properties. And I think it's it's really fascinating. It's I think it's humble beginnings. There was, Jonathan Hillis had been, they're constructing the nodes themselves, a lot of them. Okay. So they've been building um, in the real world and connecting and, and connecting them automatically into the network of people who are participating. That's quite exciting. That's kind of like starting a town where you have a group of yeah. people who are migrating to that town. But instead of that town being a single geographic location, it's actually in a single subculture location online. And that to me is, is really fascinating. Um, that concept of we're gathering, um, but we're not gathering based on geography. We're gathering based on a belief of collaboration and cooperative and, and the cooperative yeah. mindset. And um, I'm really looking forward to see, to see where they go. I, I was an active contributor uh, last year. Um, not so much. I've taken a little bit of a break as I've been focusing on other projects. Uh, but some of the work that they're doing is, is really exciting. One of the examples is that they're creating a passport. Uh, so this membership participation um, collects uh, reputation based on your participation and that accrues like value over time and uh, specific privileges as a citizen. Uh, so over time you become uh, an acknowledged citizen of uh, the cabin decentralized city. 
Very cool. Um, I'm going to say an organizational experiment that I think is most interesting to me is folklore. So you can now tell everyone about folklore. Yeah, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, sorry, a little bit before that. So over the, over the past couple of years, I've been gathering uh, knowledge myself. So curating articles, yeah. um, sharing those articles. And that's actually how I got started on Twitter. I was uh, sharing my musings with regards to the content that I was reading um, loosely around this this concept that has been recently labeled as lore um, or digital lore in a sense, um, but closely related to uh, this this content of how the uh, how the digital realms are evolving. Maybe is the right wording. So community building online, how people are connecting. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about the fact that. I've gathered a lot of this information and there's still a lot of research to be done. Um, and I was wondering, how can I, how can I create a community? And I was like thinking back to things that I usually do for community building. I was like, you know what? Um, I should, I should start a decentralized media organization. Uh, so Gabby um, and, and Kieran um, defined this concept of a dam, uh, a decentralized media network and inspired through through their work i was like let me let me take a look at this i know there's another experiment for example rehash which is doing a podcast series uh, in a decentralized yeah. fashion and uh which i would recommend uh you look into it as well and so i started a community of folklore but i wanted to be the opposite of social media i didn't want it to be like a discord with a bunch of notifications. I was like, I want this to be as simple as possible, as useful as possible, and as calm as possible. So folklore in, in short is just a telegram group where there's one or one or two articles shared a day, um, but that have been curated over, over a series of years. So it's very high signal. And then uh, you have a membership token where Whoever has purchased it has can participate in the in in the comments essentially in replies and commenting uh, for a period of six months. It's, it's an experiment. Yeah, half of the funds go to charity, um, and half of the funds are allocated to commissioning uh, new writing work. So over time, what I'm looking for is almost like an automated decentralized magazine where people subscribe, those subscriptions get automatically invested into writing that the community is interested in. And that writing itself gets completed and shared with the community and then sold as writing NFTs uh, to the broader group, which then those turn into subscribers, which then get reinvested in uh, more writing. So both serves as a public good and as an alternative to kind of social media. So instead of spending your morning on Twitter, you can spend your morning reading an article that the community has curated um, that is meaningful and hopefully provides you um, ongoing insights. I love that. So yeah, and that's, um, how can people find folklore? Uh, so you can go to folklore.mirror.xyz. There's a first article yeah. is called Welcome to Folklore. Um, and, uh, we do have only 150 spots, so there's, I, I don't know, there might be 20 or 30 left as of, 
the moment that you're listening to the podcast. Um, but if you didn't get a spot, that's okay. We'll follow me on Twitter or follow folklore underscore zero X on Twitter, and we'll make an announcement for the next uh, subscription subscription batch um, that will be available in a couple months. Amazing. So I have a, a couple more questions to ask. So what type, what type of um, organizational structures from now uh, do you see being pretty successful over the next like three to five years? What, like, I mean, one thing I see that I'm like loving right now is like NounsDAO and this kind of light but fast governance. I think that's kind of cool. And I think it also, there's also like a positive, a really quick positive feedback loop that like, you know, things are going to happen and you know, it's only going to take 10 minutes to vote on a proposal every yeah. day. And the treasury is growing every day. So it's kind of got this like really engaging feedback loop, which I really like. Whereas like, you know, some big protocols that have a big governance proposal every two or three months, it's kind of easy to just not be so engaged. So I'd love to hear, yeah, what kind of organizations and structures do you see kind of, uh, yeah, really growing over the next few years? I think, you know, I'm going to stick with the word interesting, not necessarily good or bad. Um, the 2024 elections in the U.S. are coming up and um, this decentralized organizing and, and pool funds are very likely going to create new type of political organizations. Um, citizens, you know, in action, one might say. I'm looking forward to localized citizens coordinating for, for good. Um, whether that be pooling funds and then activating infrastructure development at a local and a national level. I'm looking forward to, um, to, to political organizations as a, as a new muscle that might counterbalance um, uh, corporate entities and, and traditional influence that has been very common over the past um, at least 50 years in the U.S. since, uh, since citizen since the uh, 1970s and 1980s specifically. Um, so I, I suspect that as this coordination cost decreases, um, we're likely going to get a lot more coordinated advocacy, probably at a new type of level. Um, they will likely mimic something, uh, something more like it, it will be likely a range of, of different of different structures. Some might be more like Constitution DAO where there'll be like flash in the pan um, to put pressure for specific policy to be put in order. Um, or yeah. it might be uh, more of a slow burn um, and it might look like a new type of um, a new type of political entity that is doing institutional placement of talent. So you can imagine a situation where, um, you know, citizens around the world have specific belief or ideology. Um, they begin pulling funds and they begin placing their members in governmental institutions um, to, uh, to have um, structured influence on the work that is being done in leadership positions. I think this has always happened, um, but I suspect that uh, there might be more transparency and 
and there might it might be more accessible. And my hope is that within that accessibility, um, we'll see new types of priorities come up, um, and hopefully priorities um, that are good for for human flourishing at a global level. Love that. That's super super cool. So essentially, a lot of different types of organizational structures powered by this new technology helping humans coordinate in a much more yeah. efficient way. I think way. it can be a little bit scary because we, we're moving from a, from a place where, um, you know, corporations were and businesses were mostly focused on product market fit. So like, is your product in demand to maybe um, ideological fit? So is your, is your culture and ideology in demand and how does it resonate? And this transition period, I think we should be quite cynical and we should be quite paranoid about what it might be able to look like. And I think this is a call to action to all of us that we should get involved um, because we want to participate and not necessarily um, be passive in how these new organizations are designed um, and what types of like organizations um, uh, become influential. And so I, I think this has, again, always been the case, but as coordination becomes more accessible to so many people, um, I think it is incumbent on us to also play a larger role um, in, in, in that process. So the final question I have is a question I ask everyone. And um, it's a bit of a wild card. The question is, so if you could be CMO, head of growth, head of community for any organization. It can't be merit, can't be folklore, unfortunately. <laughs> which which one would you choose? Oh, that's bad. Or maybe that's it's a, a new one. Question. Maybe it's something. It's a really good question. Um, so I, I support a nonprofit in Puerto Rico helping uh, local artisans. And I do believe that the role of artisanal craft, whether it be online or whether it be um, if physical as a as a maker uh, will play a larger role um, as as kind of like digital abundance comes into play like I think art and and you know the embedding culture into our homes and into our lives uh, will play will play a larger role um, I would love um, to see a continued expansion of the artist voices um, across everything that we do. I would love to see artisans involved, you know, in, in, in building the infrastructure, the next generation infrastructure. Uh, I was walking around Berlin, for example, today, and you see, you know, these incredibly beautiful facades, and then you see modern buildings, and, and it, it begs a question, like, have we lost uh, some of that beauty in the search of, like, the efficiency and efficacy and this industrial modernism and minimal, minimalism of the past couple of years. And I would like us to, to maybe revisit um, really looking uh, for, for, for beauty and, and our own, and our own expression of, you know, our, our beliefs into the work that we do uh, both physically and, and digitally. So if I was uh, to decide, you know, if I was going to lead up an organization, I would I would like to to work on that, which is uh, supporting artists and artisans in in particular 
to take a more active role, um, not just in, in production of goods and in product design, uh, but also in public infrastructure and uh, and community and community well-being. That's awesome. That's like make the world more beautiful, Dow. Yeah. Make, make make things more culturally relevant. Yeah, I I can I completely agree that I think that's going to be a huge need because you know that's what makes us human. All these quirks. Yeah. I mean, you can all these you can intricacies. Imagine a world where you can three D print like artisanal crafts to your home. Um, or, you know, um, print high quality imitations of classical paintings um, to place in your wall. And like, I, I think that at the end of the day, technology enables you to have no, more beautiful things. So more access, more distribution, but also just more beauty um, within your home and, and within your life. And I would, I would love to, to see more of that. Um, so that we're not just thinking about, you know, do you have a, do you have a barbecue, but maybe you want a barbecue designed by a specific person and yeah, maybe you can't buy the original, but it would be amazing if we could create the accessibility, uh, for, for beautiful design and, and, and just, uh, astound, astounding beauty, um, in your home for everything, for everyday items. Amazing. Love that. Thank you so, so much. So people can find you on Twitter, Rafa the Builder. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rafa. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Growing Web 3. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at hypepartners forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening again. And be sure to hit subscribe to listen to new episodes first. Growing Web3 is brought to you by Hype Partners, the leading community management and marketing agency for Web3 organizations. Hype is a global agency of 120 marketers committed to supercharging Web3 ecosystems. Go to www.hype.partners to learn more.